Now, I don't know about you, but I like to plan things out. I'm not so much a spontaneous person. I like to have a plan. Does anyone like to have a plan? Anyone else? You know, you, you just like, okay, we're going to go here. We're going we're gonna to sleep at this hotel, and we're going to travel this distance. We're going to, you know, do this job. And I, I, just, I just want to know what's going on, right? I want to set what's going on. And yet God looks at our plans just a little bit differently than we do, you know? And he just has a different way of doing things. And and more often than not, and I would actually venture to say that all the times, you know, his plan is a lot better than our plan. So today we're actually going to be in Judges chapter 7 for the majority of it. going to read a lot of scripture today about the story of Gideon. But before we do that, I want to read to you this passage from James chapter 4. Starting in verse 13, James writes this. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Now these guys are making their plans. They're saying, hey, we're going to go and we're going to do this job. We're going to make money. We're going to go and, and just do what we're supposed to be doing. Nothing bad, nothing awful, nothing evil about that. But James goes on to say, why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and we will do this or that. See, what James, as he's talking to these men and women here, he understands the human element. He understands that in our minds, we like to make plans. We like to have things in order. We want to know that if I do this and if I do that, that's going to be taken care of in the end. And yet James is saying, what he is saying, is that why do you even worry about the future? Because you have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't even have an idea of what's going to happen an hour from now or five minutes from now. You know, we're so set in our finite minds. We're so set on the here and now that our, we're, we're tunnel vision, right? We're focused on what's going on now. You know, sometimes we dwell in the past and we look at what happened then, but I guarantee you there's not a single person in this room that knows what's going to happen tomorrow. There's not a single person in this room that knows what's going to happen a week from now, a month from now, a year from now. And yet God is in his infinite ability, in his all-knowing ability, doesn't just limit himself to the here and now like we do. He knows all the past. He knows the complete present. And he knows the absolute future. And so he can sit up there in that mindset and know what's going to happen and know how to shape our lives and know how to trust in that. But it's up to us to say, God, do I trust you in that? Do I follow you in that? Do I trust your good and perfect plan in that? Because we like to make plans. This is true regarding all of our plans. You know, we like to know what's going to happen in our future. What kind of job am I going to have? What is my marriage going to look like? What are my kids going to be like? What, 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 what am I going to do in these different situations? And we like to try to have everything taken care of. We try to have everything planned in our own way. We like to be in control, don't we? You know, this was true for me going into my junior year of college. I was 21 years old. I was a junior at Liberty University, and I did not have a girlfriend. And I, up to that point, I hadn't had a girlfriend in my life. 
And, and I was like, this is the year, right? Because everyone says, you're going to meet your future spouse at college. So I was like, okay, it's my junior year. It's time. This is the year it's going to happen. It, it's got to happen this year, right? So I'm gearing myself up. Like, ring by spring was, was, always, the, uh, was always the cliche remark at Liberty, right? Ring by spring. All right. So it's junior year. This is the year that'll give me a couple years to get to know this girl and this girl to get to know me. And then we'll get married and, you know, have our five children and, and go on from there, right? So I have this plan. So, you know, you start talking to girls, and, and, and it was the first semester of my junior year, and I start talking to this girl whose name was Amanda. I was an RA. She was an RA. We start hanging out a lot, talking a lot, you know, really cool things going on. And then I get this phone call one night. It says, Jack, we need to talk. And I'm just going to give you a little bit of advice here. If a girl ever calls a guy and says, we need to talk, that's never going to be followed by a good conversation. All right, that's free. All right, so, all right, let's talk. And I'm kind of knowing that going into this conversation, kind of nervous-like, right? And, and Amanda and I start talking, right? And, and she says, you know what? Jack, I've had so much fun with you. Like, yeah, I've had fun with you too. This is great. You know, and she says, Jack, I feel like I can share anything with you. Yeah, well, that's good. You know, I want to be trustworthy. I'll, I'll share anything with you too. That, that's great. She's like, Jack, I, I, I just love every time that we're together. Yeah, I think yeah, pretty fun too. She says, Jack, I don't see us going past friends. <sighs> okay. You know, so oh for 1, right? So, okay, Amanda's not the one. Okay, so we'll gear up and we'll get ready for the next one. So I start talking to this girl named Krista. And I did actually study during this year, too. Like, I, I got good grades and everything. So someone said that after the first service. Like, did you not study at all? I did, I did. Calm down. All right. So I start talking to this girl, Krista. Krista was from Canada. All right, beautiful girl, amazing girl. Really, again, just another one that we're just having some great conversations, having a lot of fun hanging out. And again, she wants to talk. And again, I'm like, okay, what's, what's going on now? Verbatim, this is what she tells me on the phone. You are everything that I want in a husband. And that scares me. I can't see you anymore. <laughs> it doesn't even make sense. What are you looking for? Someone that's not anything you want to look for in a husband? I don't, I don't get it. All right, so 0 for 2. All right, we're, we're good with that. So again, I give myself a little few months breathing room because I'm, I'm 0 for 2. I'm, I'm batting 0. This is not good. And I start finally talking to this last girl, and her name was Christy. Not Krista, this is Christy. And she was an RA too. I should have learned my lesson in the first one. But she was an RA too. And this was the last day we were leaving Liberty that day, right? And, and things had been going well. And, and we're leaving that day, about to go home, about to separate for the summer. And she's having a conversation. And she's looking up at me. And she's just like, I don't deserve someone like you. And I just, without being a jerk, I just wanted to be like, Shouldn't that be my decision? Like, shouldn't you want something better than you? I, I don't know, but I didn't really feel like that. But, you know, it was just, this was not good. But you know what? Looking back on it, you know, I'm so glad that none of those relationships did work. You know why? Because God knew what I needed. He knew who it would be that would compliment me. He knew who it would be that could come alongside of me and encourage me and tell me the hard truths and, and make me realize the blind spots that I had. It wasn't in college that I would meet my future wife. It was two years later at a young adult Bible study. God knew what I needed. He knew I needed Alex. 
And he brought her into my life at the right time, in the right place. And if I would have just trusted him instead of going out on my own and trying to find girls, you know, that, that you know, they love being with me and, you know, I'm everything that they want, whatever, you're lying now, you know. But if I tried to do it in my own plan, it was never going to work out in the best way possible. And that's what God has for us. His plan is so much better. His plan is the best plan. You think about when Peter and the other fishermen, they went out in their boat one night and they, they kept throwing their net over and didn't catch a thing, right? And, and so they're about ready to give up for the night and Jesus says, no, 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 I need you to go over here. Their plan was to give up. Their plan was to go home. Their plan was to go again and try again the next night. But God had a different plan. God had a better plan. And when they went back out, their nets couldn't contain the amount of fish that they would catch. When Goliath saw David coming, and he came against the Israelites, this big Philistine giant. And his plan was to overtake Israel. His plan was to overtake and demolish them all. You know, and he looks down at this puny teenage little boy coming at him with a slingshot. His plan was to say, I'm going to crush this kid like a bug. But God had a different plan. And when that little puny teenage boy, you know, planted that stone in Goliath's forehead, we saw that God had a better plan, that God had the best plan. When Israel sent into Canaan into the promised land, the, the 12 spies, and they, 10 of them came back and they said, you know what, we can't go here. You know, this place, we're like crickets to them, we're like grasshoppers. You know, there's fortified walls, there's big cities. Our plan, we just need to go back to Egypt, beg Pharaoh for forgiveness, and just try to see if we can get our old jobs back as slaves. Like, that's how our plans become so diluted. But we know that God had a better plan. That God said, I'm giving you this nation. I'm giving you this country. I'm giving you this land, which will be yours. God always has the best plan. And you can go story after story in the Bible and just see how man has their own ways, you know, and they try to figure everything out, and yet God comes through and he shows you, this is what trusting in me will do for you. This is what surrendering your plans will do for you. This is what I am going to do for you as the God who loves you, who has your best interest at heart. So today we're going to take a look at Gideon. In Judges chapter 7, we're going to read a, a little bit of scripture today, and, and we're just going to see how, how God's plan takes a different role than what Gideon thought it would do. Gideon starts out with this army to go against the Midianites and the other enemies. This huge army, and Gideon is a general of 32,000 men. And picking up in verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, well, first off, God's plan is different than ours. That's the first point. God's plan is different than ours. So picking up in verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, This one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, This one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 
300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. Now here's Gideon. All right, he's feeling pretty okay about himself. He's got 32,000 men. Things are looking good. You know, the, the Midianite is a, definitely a formidable army, but he's feeling good. He's got 32,000 men at his back. And yet God says, mm, hold on a second. I, I want to do something different with you. Because you know what, Gideon? If you win with 32,000 men, you, you have a good army. You have a great army. And if you defeat the Midianites with that army, who do you think gets the glory? Is there anyone going to say, well, God surely delivered them? Or will they say, well, Gideon was an amazing general. You know, he was an amazing general. He had 32,000 men, and he led them in the victory. And God said, no, I, I need to have the glory in this. I need to have the victory in this. The victory is mine. The victory is going to be yours because I'm the one that's going to give it to you. And so Gideon's like, I mean, okay, Lord, that's fine. 32,000 men, if you want a couple, go ahead, take, take what you want. You know, and God says, well, tell, them, tell the men, you know, if they're scared, if they're fearful. You know, anyone that's scared, they can leave. So I'm sure Gideon's like, well, they can't be more than just a handful of people, right? They're soldiers. You know, they, they, got their, they got their arms together. They're good to go. They got their swords. They got their spears. You know, they're not going to be afraid. Yeah, 22,000 men later, and Gideon's probably feeling, wait a second, <laughs> I thought I was more motivating than that, right? I thought I, I had them together. I had these 32,000 men that were ready to go with me in the battle, and now 22,000 had left. Now I'm left with 10,000 men. All right, well, now my odds don't seem to be as good as they were. It's not looking so good in my favor now. But I have 10,000. I have 10,000. I mean, that's still a good number, right? Like, I can still hang on to that. And God says, eh, I still think that's a little too many. And again, I'm, I'm sure Gideon's feeling like, too many, you know, like, it's only 10,000 now. The Midianites well outnumber that. How many more are you going to take? And God says, trust me, you know, take your men down to the water. And if I say these are going to go with you, they're the ones that are going to go. If I say these aren't going to go with you, you need to listen to me and, and send them home. And he said, take them down to the river. And anyone that, that puts their hand in the river and, and, and brings their hand up to their mouth, they're the ones that are vigilant. They're the ones that are watching. They're the ones that you need to keep. But anyone that just goes all the way down, puts their face in the water, isn't aware of their surroundings, has no idea what's going on around them, they're the ones that you need to send home. I'm sure that initial count had to leave Gideon in just a huge bind. 300. 300. I once had 32,000. And now, Lord God, you're telling me I need to go against the Midian army with 300 guys, that's going to be impossible. That's so different than what I was thinking. See, in our minds, in my mind, I like to have the, the deck stacked in my favor. I, I like to have things in place before I surrender my future to God, right? I say, you know what, if I had you know, this much money, if I had this job, if, if my kids are acting this way, if I'm, if I'm doing this well you know, then I'll say, okay, God, my heart is yours, you know, use me as you will. And yet God says, no, 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 I need to break down all that stuff, and I need your heart first. 
I need you to trust me first, no matter what you have. The deck is not going to be stacked in your favor because you're going to see how mighty I'm going to be in you and through you. But in our minds, we're like, no, God, I, I, I have a plan. Let me tell you something about our plans. There's, there's nothing that you're ever going to come up with, no plan that you're ever going to come up with that God's going to be like, huh, that was a good idea. I didn't think of that. It's not going to happen. He's infinitely minded, infinitely wisdom. He has all the smarts. So there's nothing that you're going to come up with that says, I didn't think of that. God knows all. Are we willing to trust him with that? Are we willing to say, even though his plan might be different, we're going to trust that his plan is the better plan? You know, you look at different people in the Bible and how God totally chose something different than what everyone thought. Right, You look at David, who would be king of Israel. You know, Samuel went to Jesse and he said, bring me all your sons because one of your sons will surely be the next king of Israel. All right, Jesse brings in all of his sons except David because David's the runt of the litter. He's the youngest. He's the puny little teenager out playing his harp in a field watching some sheep. Right, and So obviously he's not going to be the next king, but God had a different plan. Here was Job, a man that in all earthly standards was successful. He had the huge family. He had all the riches and the livestock. And, and Satan came to God and said, Job only serves you because you've blessed him so much. I promise you, if you take all that stuff away, that he will curse you and die. And what the world would see as, as when Job lost everything, and what the world would say, well, <laughs> he's not going to love God anymore. Job gets on his hands and feet. He said, blessed be the name of the Lord. No matter what he gives, no matter what he takes, my heart will bless the name of the Lord. See, God has a better plan and blessed Job with so much more than he had before. You think about Joseph and Mary. They're just an average couple about to start an average life as a carpenter and as a wife. But God had a different plan and chose to use them for something that was totally beyond what they thought was going to be the plan for their lives. You think about Saul of Tarsus, whose number one goal was to destroy all of Christianity, who went out to kill Christians, who went out to kill those who followed Jesus, who was there when Stephen, the first martyr for Jesus, was stoned to death. And you would look at Saul's life and you would say, this guy, he's never going to, you know, he's always going to not serve Jesus. He's never going to come and, and know who God is. And yet God has a different plan. God had a better plan. The bottom line is this, is that God will always, the test of a life, I'm sorry, the test of a life is that is willing to submit the plans to God even when his plan contradicts ours. Right, so a year and a half, two years ago, I was thinking, you know, God, we're going to go up to Gettysburg, we're going to spend a little time there, and we're going to plant a church out from Gettysburg. We, that, that was a good plan. There's nothing wrong with that plan. There's, there's, it's a good plan. That, that's what we thought God had for us. And yet in our time here in the last few months, as we shared a few weeks ago, we just felt God impress on us that he said, I'm calling you here now. I'm calling you to Gettysburg now. That, that we'll, we'll get to the future when we get to it. But for here and now, I'm calling you to this place to serve at this time and in this capacity See, our plan wasn't a bad one. 
You know, most of our plans in here, they're not bad. We try to have control over our future. We have control over our retirement. We have control over our houses and our family. We want to know that we have some say. We want to know that we have some semblance in the matter. And yet God says, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Even though my plan might contradict yours, do you trust that my heart is for you? I remember when Jesus even prayed in the garden the night that he was betrayed, right? And he knew what was going to be coming against him. He knew, you know, the pain that he would have to endure. And he prayed in the garden, God, if there is any other way, if there is any other way for, for this to happen, if there's any other way for there to be a relationship between you and man again, would you take this cup from me? If there's any other way, God, would you make that way possible? And then he ended with this amazing phrase, but not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. What an amazing prayer to pray. What an amazing example that we have in Jesus in that. Not my will, but yours be done, even when God's plans are different than ours. Second point today is that God declares his plans. God declares his plans. Picking up in verse 9, Joseph says this, During that night the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Again, rewind a little bit. Gideon's feeling good. He has seen his 32,000 men. What he had was feeling good. Now he has seen his 32,000 men reduced to just 300 men. Now did you catch that little bit of embellishment in there? He says, if you counted the camels, they outnumbered all the sand on the seashore. Now I would venture to say that the pastor was coming out and the author of this Bible a little bit in this scripture, embellishing that just a little bit. I mean, that's a lot of camels, all the sand on the seashore. But I'm guessing it was a lot. And it was a lot more than 300. And I would venture to say it was a lot more than 32,000, which is what Gideon had in the first place. But he's not getting ready to attack a force, and he's getting ready to attack a force that is many times larger than his own. But God here, he's not asking for a leap in the dark. He's not asking for a leap in the dark. He is asking for a clear step of faith. See, he knew what Gideon's fears were. He knew what they were, but God declares. God spoke to him. I love what it says. During the night, the Lord said this to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp because I am going to give it into your hands. 
I am going to give it into your hands. God declared the victory. Now at that point, Gideon had no idea what those steps would look like. He had no idea how God was going to take 300 men you know, and take them against an army that was countless, that the author said the camels outnumbered the sand on the seashore. He didn't know what that would look like, but he kept his eyes focused on what God said. He said, I am going to deliver this army into your hand. We're not going to know all the time, you know, the path that we're going to take. He just calls us to take a step, you know, but we know that we keep our eyes focused on him. His word says, keep your eyes focused on him, the author and perfecter of our faith. You know, so we, we may not know what steps we're going to go down. We know, may not know the twists and turns that life is going to bring, but we keep our eyes focused on God because we know what he's already declared. We know that we're already victorious in him. We know what that plan is, that, that he's going to see it come to fruition in us. We just have to trust him along the way. His plan to use us in our families to reach out and share the love of Jesus with them, to reach out into our neighbors and, and to show them that there is a God who loves them perfectly, to reach out to the people that we work with and that we see on a daily basis, to show them the grace and mercy that God has for them, that he wants to meet them exactly where they're at. See, we're not going to know every, every step along the road. We're supposed to just keep our eyes focused on him and understand and know that he has declared his plan. We get to trust that. We get to trust in his goodness. So God uses many ways to speak to us as his children. He uses many ways to pour into us, and we just get to surrender to that. One of the ways is that he speaks through us through his word. Through his word. That's why it's so important to establish that discipline of getting into the Bible on a daily basis so we can learn about those promises, so that we can learn the promises of God, so that we can learn that, 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 that he has that plan for us, that he has us in his hands, that he is going to take care of us, that he is with us and by our side every day. And so that's why we do life groups, you know, we get to do that together and we get to read his word together and learn those things together and speak those truths to each other. Another way that he speaks to us is the, is the gift of his spirit, his spirit that lives and resides inside of us, wants to speak those truths to us, to help us remember those things, to re help us remember the times that, that God has been so faithful to us, to help us to remember those promises that we read in his word when we're going through the valleys. One of my favorite things is that God also gives us and speaks to us through other believers. Again, this is a great way that, that no matter what we may be going through, no matter what you may be going through, you know, I think the enemy wants you to feel like you're alone, but you're not. You know, you look around this room and, and we're family in here. You know, we have each other, that God has placed you here for a particular purpose. That, that, that's why I love that we do groups here at Foursquare, because we don't want you to be alone that no matter what you're walking through, you don't have to walk through it on your own. You don't have to go through it by yourself. That there's plenty of people that want to come alongside of you, put their arm around you and say, let's go through this together. You don't have to be alone. Let me show you what I've learned. Let me show you what God has taught me. Let me show you what he's revealed to me through his scripture so that I may encourage you, so that I may speak life into you, so that I may speak into you. 
That's an amazing gift that God gives us. He even speaks through the circumstances of life so that when we go through those hard times and when we have those mountaintops, when everything is good, we, can, we remember that when we're in the valleys, right? When we're going through those hard circumstances, we can look back and we can see the faithfulness of God that He's never let us down and we can go forward knowing that He is able He is an able God and can do for us exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever ask for or imagine. So we get to trust him because his plan is sure and he declares it. He doesn't keep it from us. God will always direct you plainly. He will not leave you in doubt. He has declared his plan for you. Next, I want to share with you that his plans are certainly unique. God's plans are unique. Picking up in verse 15. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshiped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three... Three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. Grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow, they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. Now that is a unique plan. That... that That goes beyond the the norm of what soldiers would think the battle would be like, right? So Gideon has 32,000 men, right? He's feeling good. He's like, we're going to go into this battle. Midian Midian has a formidable enemy. They're a great army. They're very scary guys, but we're feeling good about this. And God says, send the ones who are afraid home. 22,000 cowards scampered off. Okay, now now you're... you know, biting your knuckle like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen now? And then God says, you know, send 10,000 more away. 300 is all I'm going to give you. Now this is like now the 300 men of Sparta, right? So these guys, they're ready to go. Okay, so they're coming back and Gideon's like, I have a plan. And these guys are gearing up. They realize that there are only 300. They realize that the odds are not in their favor. They realize that they're going to probably die that day. They think so in their minds anyway. But they're gearing up. They're ready. They haven't abandoned Gideon. They're not afraid. They, they drank that water like a vigilant person. They kept their eyes up. They kept around and aware of their surroundings. And they're like, okay, what's the plan? You know, let's get our catapults. Let's get our swords. Let's get our spears. And so Gideon said, no, 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 no. Get torches and get trumpets and get clay jars. What? No, you heard me. Get torches, get clay jars and cover them, and get your trumpets. No, but what about our swords? No, 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 no. God's plan is unique. And I can imagine those 300 guys saying, it certainly is. This plan is not going to be a good one. Can we vote in a new general, please? 
Because this doesn't sound like a good plan. And yet Gideon trusted God. And these men trusted God inside of Gideon. God certainly has a unique plan. Right? You, you think about that with Joshua and the battle of Jericho. And God is telling Joshua what he's going to do. He's coming against this amazingly fortified city with not one but two thick walls. And Joshua's like, what's the plan? You know, how are we going to come against those walls? How are we going to come against that city? And God says, well, you're going to march around it one time every day. That's it? Yeah, and you're not going to say anything either. Just stay silent, march around, do that for six days. And then what? Well, then on the seventh day, you're going to march around it seven times. Okay? And you're still going to be silent. You're not going to say anything. But at the end of the seventh time, then I want you to shout with all your might. All right, so that's cool. That's a battle cry. And then what? Are we supposed to storm the city gates? Are we supposed to go in there, you know, and, and, and just ransack the city? No. Just shout. See, God's plans are so unique. God's, I mean, no man would ever come up with those plans. No man would say, okay, you've got an army of 300 versus thousands. Okay, just go against them with some clay jars and some trumpets and torches. No man would ever do that. But that's how God, in his unique ability, you know, in his amazing plan to take what seems impossible. There's no way that an army of 300 men is going to go against the Midianite army. And God would take what's seemingly impossible and make it victorious because his plans are unique. Had Gideon and his men not been willing to follow God's plan, they would have missed out on God's best for their lives. So it is with the plans of God. There are times when the Lord will lead you in directions that you're just like, where are we going? What are we doing? You would have never imagined it. He can come up with plans for our lives that are very distinct, yet when we go his way, we find out that his plan was the best all along. His plan was one where he received the victory. His plan was one where all the glory went to him. So now that we know you know, what God's plans are, you know, and how his plans work and how they're different than ours. What is our response? What is our response as believers to know that his plans are different, to know that his, he declares his plans and know that his plans are unique? What do we respond with? Well, first of all, God's plan calls us to surrender. God's plan calls us to surrender. Think about this. Gideon was a man with 32,000 followers. But by following God's plan, he saw his army reduced to 300, his rank lowered. I mean, who's going who's gonna to trust this guy with only 300 men now? And his pride is now crushed. I don't know if you caught this, but in verse 13 in Judges 7, it went from reducing Gideon from a general of so many men to now he was referred to as a barley cake. I mean, that'll do something for your ego, I would think. Okay, I once was a general of 32,000 men, and now I'm being referred to as a dog biscuit. All right, so that's, that's, that's not going to do a lot for you. But what Gideon learned through all of that, what he had to come through was that that battle was not about Gideon. That that battle was not about his men. That that battle was not about Israel. That battle was not even about Midian. It was not even about his enemies. The battle was about God. It was about the Lord. Gideon had to come to the place where he was willing 
to lay aside his plans, to lay aside his goals, to put aside his dreams and his will so that he might surrender to the will of God. We don't do that really easy. We want to hold on to things. We want to, we want to feel like we're in control, right? We said that before, but God is saying, trust me, let go let go. Let me take your plans. Let me take your future. Let me take your dreams and your will and let me show you the places that I have for you. Let me show you the places that I will send you. All I need is your surrender. And when you think about plans, when we talk about God's plan for our lives, you know, one of those scriptures that always comes to mind is Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And it's a great scripture. It's a great promise. But I think too many times we overlook the actual meaning and the context of that scripture. See, in the context of that scripture, one, it would take 70 years for them to see God's promise come to fruition. See, they were in Babylonian captivity. You know, it would be 70 years before they would see freedom, before God would say, okay, now I'm giving you a hope and a future. See, his plan was for Israel as a whole, not just one specific person. So are we willing to surrender our personal plans for God's eternal plan? Are we willing to set aside our own personal goals, our own personal aspirations, our own personal wills, and say, God, what do you want to do? What do you want to do with my life? Are we willing to set aside our finances? Are we willing to set aside our families? Are we willing you know, to say, God, it all belongs to you? If you call me to a different part of the nation or a different part of the world, God, I will go because I don't want my plans to get in the way of your plans. God, I surrender to you. God's plan calls us to live by faith. If Gideon and his army was to experience the victory, they would have to humble themselves under God's hand, surrender to his plan, obey his will, and proceed in faith. It took great faith for 300 to go against thousands. It took great faith for them to take no weapons. It took great faith for them to blow trumpets, break those pitchers, and shine those lights. But God answered their faith by giving them a resounding victory. A resounding victory that belonged to God. We don't live in faith very well. We don't live by faith very well. It doesn't come naturally to us. You know what does come naturally? Worry. We worry really well. We are really good at that. We're also really good at sin. You know, and it's just something that's ingrained in us. We sin really easily on our own. No one had to teach us how to sin. You know how I know that? Because I have a three and a half year old son at home. And the other day, we're walking through CVS, and he sees a toy that he wants on the wall, and he proceeds to have an absolute meltdown because he had to have this toy that he saw in CVS. I want it! I want that toy! And I'm dragging him through CVS, you know, like, Luke, relax, you're not getting the toy. You don't get what you want. But I can tell you this, he didn't learn that from me. I don't think. He might have learned it from my wife. No, it's just kidding. No, I mean, I, I, I drive by, you know, that awesome Dodge Ram 4x4 truck, quad cab. 
I don't start whining and screaming. Inside I am. I'm like, I want that. It's mine. But I didn't have to teach my son that. It just comes naturally. Worry comes naturally to us. Sin comes naturally to us. It takes an amazing effort and courage for us to live and walk in faith. And yet that's what God is calling us to. He's calling walk in faith. Trust in me. If we're going to see God's best plan for our lives, it's going to require faith. God is going to ask you to take some steps along the path that will be difficult and that you will be unsure of. But the path to God's best is always the path of faith. God always honors faith because faith always honors God. God always honors faith because faith always honors God. Hebrews 11.6, and without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. When we surrender to his plan and live by faith, then the enemy will be defeated and we will live in not our victory, but his victory. Gideon got to see his victory. Joshua got to see his victory. It wasn't a result of Gideon's good work or his army's well-executed plan. It was all because of what God has done. Because God's plan is always the best plan. See, the same is true for our spiritual lives as well. In just a minute, I'm going to release you to come and, and take communion with us. There's tables spread all around the, out the room. We do have a gluten-free option here up on the stage as well. But you think about what Jesus did for us. You, you think about that plan uh, uh, of him coming down, and it, it fits all of these. See, God's plan was different. God's plan was different than our plan. See, we, we still live in such a way where we think we have to earn God's salvation. We try to do it in our own power. We say, you know what, if, 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 if I go to church three out of four Mondays, Sundays a month, if I read scripture five out of seven days, if I pray 15 minutes a day, then, then God will love me enough and I will have done enough to have earned his love that week. And yet God says, no, 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 no. It's, you're never going to do anything to earn it. There is not enough good in the world that you could possibly do to earn God's favor and love and salvation. It's something that, that He's already given to us freely. See, God also declared His plan. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It's not kept hidden from us. He gave us His plan. He gave us His Son. And His plan was certainly unique. His plan was certainly unique. And what an amazing Jesus, who is fully God, had done nothing wrong. We're the ones that screwed up. We're the ones that decided to sin. We're the ones that rejected God. We're the ones that were supposed to pay that price. We're the ones that were supposed to say that pay that penalty. And yet Jesus said, I will take off my God crown. I will limit myself. I will come down and I will be like them. And I will take the guilt. I will take the shame. I will take the sin. I will take everything that belongs to them and put it upon myself so that they may know freedom and that they may know life. 
that's a unique plan. That's a plan that we don't deserve. But Jesus showed us that. He showed us what it meant to surrender, to open up his hands, to pray in that garden, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. What an amazing act of surrender. And what an amazing way to walk in faith. The Bible tells us that it was the joy that was set before him that Christ endured the cross. That scripture took on a new meaning to me about a year ago when I hadn't even thought about it before. When thinking about, you know, the joy set before him, there was nothing joyful about the cross. There was nothing joyful about those nails going in through his hands and his feet. There was nothing joyful about him becoming beaten so unrecognizable that no one could recognize him. Beaten so bad. There was nothing joyful about his skin being ripped off his back. But it said it was the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. You know what his joy was? You. A relationship with you. That's how he was able to endure. That's how he was able to get through that. That's what he was looking forward to. It wasn't the cross. It was a relationship with every single one of you. That's an amazing plan. That's an amazing plan. So I just want to pray over us. And then I want to release you to come down and and receive communion. And I'm just going to ask you to take that back to your seat as the worship team sings through this song. And we'll just pray one more time to close this time out. But let's pray. Father, I, I thank you, Father, for every single person in this room. Lord God, I thank you for your amazing plan that, Lord Jesus, you were willing to become one of us, that you put aside your God crown and you came down, lived on this earth for 33 years, died on that cross, but that grave couldn't hold you, that three days later you rose again, and because of that, we have victory. Because of that, we know freedom. Because of that, the same victory that Gideon had and the same victory that Joshua had is the same victory that we have because you have declared it for us. That we get to trust in your amazing plan. And so, Father, prepare our hearts now as as we get to take this simple communion meal together. As we eat that bread which represented your broken body. Your broken body so that we could know wholeness. Lord God, may it shape us and change us. As we take that juice, Lord God, which represents your blood, and your blood which represents the new covenant, which covers our sins, which takes our guilt and takes our shame, Lord God, and and allows us to stand before you as your righteousness, as allows us to stand before you, Lord God, whiter than snow because you have made us pure. Lord God, as we receive this, Lord God, may our hearts be just set free. And may our plans and our wills and our desires be surrendered to you, knowing that your plan is the best plan. We trust you today, Lord Jesus. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.